Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? It's your pal, Scuzzy Gruen. My mom calls me Alex, and this is yet another episode of Help from Future Self, a conversational Keyforge podcast hosted by Keyforge Friends. Here in Vancouver, British Columbia, I am joined, as always, by my triad of Keyforge pals. It's the Wheeling Keyforger, Rick. Hey. And Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Coach? Hey, what's going on, guys? Lots of stuff going on. The imminent release of the new set, Worlds Collide, coming out confirmed on November 8th. Ready to rock and roll on that. Uh, we've got a bunch of organized play news and stuff that's been going on. It's just, it feels like it's never stopping with Keyforge right now. Do you guys feel that way? Definitely. Nonstop. Does feel like we're in we're in high gear. Um, for any, I don't know if there's any soccer fans out there, but there's the, the holiday fixture list, which is basically like a ton of games all together during a period of time. And I feel like that's what we're in with Keyforge right now. It's this cluster of events and activities that are going on over the next month, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. I was actually just looking back uh, the uh, today to try and figure out exactly how close we were to the one-year anniversary of release of Keyforge. It was officially out November 15th. So yes, we are was. that close to one year. And think about how much has changed in that year. Um, for one thing, we all uh, we all basically started playing the game during the course of that time. I know Rick and I started a little bit earlier than you, Blake. But I think in many ways you have, uh, you know, got the most invested of the three of us, you know, over the course of the time that you've been playing. It, it's been about, what, seven or eight months for you now? Yes, uh, since March. So, yeah, seven, seven months. Absolutely incredible. And no signs of slowing down either. Um, we've talked about this a bit before on, on Help from Future Self, but I do really want to commend uh, Fantasy Flight Games for the fact that they've never let Keyforge lay fallow for any length of time. There's always been, you know, hype for the new set. I went back and checked. There were spoilers for Age of Ascension out in January. Literally, as early as January, you were finding stuff out about the forthcoming set. So there was always hype happening for what was going to happen in Keyforge. Then there was all the organized play announcements. Um, you know, remember when they first announced the Vault Tour and what the prizes were going to be like? And then yep. later on, of course, you know, since then we've had all the announcements, but all the other organized play, the Vault Warrior Tour and stuff like that. It just feels like they've done such a good job of making sure that if you like Keyforge, it never feels like, oh, there's nothing really going on in Keyforge. Just the same old, same old, same old game. It always feels like... There's something exciting happening right now and still more exciting stuff on the horizon. Do you guys feel that way? Yeah, 100%. I mean, we got the leaderboard aspect coming to the local weekly events at every LGS or I guess the ones that sign up for it. So that's, again, something else new that's going to be happening to the weekly uh, Keyforge playing in your local community. I do wonder about the knock-on effect of that. Like, I like it as sort of just like a low-tier competitive thing that's not sort of Vault Warrior related. And I think you made a really great point about this, Blake, a little while back, where I was sort of expressing a little bit of like, oh, you know, the Vault Warrior thing feels like kind of an elite-level thing that doesn't really apply to a lot of, you know, sort of, you know, regular players. And you sort of brought up the idea of, well, you know, like the, the leaderboard of the local store is a thing that everybody can participate in and, you know, aspire to as a local player. And I, I really do feel like that aspect is there as well. I wonder, though, 
if uh, you know, sort of that that local tier of play remains friendly with that in play. Do you any any hot takes on that? I know we didn't talk about talking about this, but I am sort of curious. Do you think that you know uh, that level of competition engenders any kind of bad blood, or do you think that the leaderboard just sort of establishes kind of a thing for people to strive towards, like a goal to achieve? I don't think it's going to create bad blood because I mean, it's still your same community. I think people may not be as casual about it potentially. I think that's that's the extent of of how cutthroat it's going to be. As people may really want one of those decks, so they start bringing stuff that is more in their top tier instead of a little more like casual chain bound sort of idea, just to do it. But I mean, I think one of it is sealed as well. And with worlds collide, it's it's going to be happening in multiple different ways. Uh, I can't remember the exact details if it's only applies to sealed, but I believe it's both. Like you can do one through mm-hmm. sealed and one and have multiple opportunities to do it. So I just think it's going to be a matter of. It's going to be people are going to, if they want it, they want it, and they're going to treat the event accordingly. And it's top four, so it's not like there's only one. There's going to be four, and it's going to be happening. From what Alex said, I believe it's an evergreen thing, so he wants to have this going forward as a as a thing that exists, which is great because I think a, a deck with a alternate art card is, is very, very enticing for a lot of Keyforge players, and I think it'll help keep the local scenes vibrant and fresh as those new alternate art cards are revealed moving forward. I definitely agree with everything that you just said there, really. All right. We had store championships this past weekend. That was a, that was a fun event. Yeah, I'm sure it was for you, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Why Um, was it? Why was it so much fun for you, Alex? All right. I I don't want to sound like uh, I'm bragging about this, but I am going to put forward here. I'm very proud of myself because I won store championships at magic stronghold here in Vancouver. Um, I, you went 4-0 and you put in the time. You jammed your deck over 100 times, right? Uh, yeah, I, I jammed it 105 or 106 times on the uh, the Crucible to really learn it inside and out. Um, it felt really good to win. Um, I know we've talked in the past about, uh, you know, sort of we, we, we're, we're all people who like to participate in competitive events, but also really enjoy uh, casual play. And I've always thought of myself as more a casual player, but I really, really, really wanted this. Um and so I put in the work to uh, to try and learn my deck, and it paid off, which felt nice. 100%, man. It was really awesome watching you uh, fill us in as you did your reps and got to know the deck and, and have a sentiment about the deck. Like, oh, after I play this tournament, I'm, I'm probably not going to play it again. It just feels kind of gross. And that's awesome that you have a deck like that because, I mean, it's one that you know is in your wheelhouse moving forward for other competitive events. Yeah, yep. and I, I I do want to emphasize that like this was a very classic like you know the kind of deck that's been dominating the meta basically since the beginning of Keyforge, like control the weeks, uh, life wards, uh, too much to protect, you know all 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 the classic dis shadows stuff, and then some good burst in untamed. There was absolutely nothing clever about it, um, but at the same time, you know I I. I beat uh you know a friend of the site jonathan donegan in a mirror match where he was rocking a deck with a lot of similar stuff so you know i I just want to put forward out there folks if you're like me if you don't think of yourself as a competitive player but you are interested in trying to place at a local event um just play play the shit out of your best deck just just take it on tco take it on tabletop simulator bring it out to local events and practice it and play it and play it on the competitive setting wherever you go um, if you're on TCO, don't play it in casual because you're not learning anything by stomping, you know, medium or average decks. If you're playing in competitive, those losses teach you something. And that's a thing that I think that we've all like 
you and I and 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 everyone listening to this should totally be aware of the fact that you learn from losing. You learn 100%. from getting beaten. And so, you know, that that that's a, a powerful teaching tool. So I'm not going to go out there and, and act like I'm, I'm, you know, king of the mountain uh, because I, I happen to win this particular event. I, I just want to stress the fact that if you're like me and you're not super competitive person by nature, but are interested in trying that, that that's the way to go. I think it's bring your best deck and, and learn it inside and out. And then you can, you can know uh, in every way how it's going to perform and what you can do in any given scenario. And there's no substitute for that. What was your um going into the tournament? What was your win rate with it? Like your uh, percentage? Sixty percent. Perfect. That's pretty standard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is funny because uh, I was speaking with Aurora on uh, Twitter about it, and uh, she had mentioned that uh, Aurora is a person who's placed in like uh, high up in various vault tours in Europe. Writes a lot of really interesting articles uh, about keyforge and keyforge strategy, and and she had said that like her her best deck is about sixty percent, which means that you know she's she's the same philosophy. Like you you win by losing, you learn by taking those L's, which I I thought was really heartening as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, don't don't look at a deck's win loss and and think oh it doesn't win more than you know sixty percent of the time. Sixty percent's good. That that shows that you've been playing you know a lot of powerful stuff and hopefully you've learned something from from the losses in the win loss column. All right, guys, uh, let's move on a little bit. Uh, I would like to do uh, one of our classic features here on help from future self. This is one I came up with on the bus the other day, and I thought it'd be a fun one for us to talk about. Um, this is a game we called Would You Rather. And the premise of this is, which card would you rather have in your deck? And I'm going to start this off. Um, in the past, we've had a lot of sort of like it depends feelings between the three of us. And that's the answer to almost every question in Keyforge. <laughs> but it's also kind of a boring answer because you always know it's coming. Um, so I want to lay out the scenario here. Um, you, the listener, or you, uh, Blake and Rick, show up to a casual Keyforge night. And I'm sitting there and I've got two decks sitting in front of me. And I say, let's, let's play a game with these two decks. And by an insane coincidence they are identical they have the exact same deck list with one difference this one has poltergeist in it and this one has hawk in it it's got like a legacy poltergeist in or a maverick poltergeist in in shadows and this one just has hawk in it instead of that but otherwise they are identical decks so let me just quickly lay out what those cards do poltergeist one pip of amber to play it. Play effect. Use an artifact controlled by any player as if it were yours. Destroy that artifact. And Hawk is, you get a pip of amber for playing it. It's an action. Play effect. Destroy an artifact. If you do, gain one amber. So they're both artifact controlled. The central difference is, in the case of uh, uh, Poltergeist, you get the play effect or the uh, action effect of the artifact. In the case of Hawk, you get uh, uh, an extra amber for destroying it. Um, so... I lay these two decks out in front of you and I say, which one would you like to play? What's your preference? I'll start off with you, Blake. Would you rather have the deck that has Poltergeist or the deck that has Hawk? All other things being equal. All right. Well, with that being said and no finagling, it's going to be Poltergeist for me. The fact that you get to get the effect of the artifact and then destroy it makes it uh, very appealing and I think very powerful. And you can even use it on your own artifacts for like some house cheating, basically for something you have that's there. A classic one is something like, well, I guess this doesn't apply since it's a Maverick, but let's say it was a normal one that wasn't a Maverick getting to use like Subtle Maul and Shadows. Mm-hmm. One turn is a cool one. 
Um, the, the thing that I was considering between the two was the benefit of Hawk, I feel like is more situational of why you would choose that one over. And that'd be, you're in a position where by destroying an artifact, you're putting yourself in check. And if you played poltergeist, you wouldn't be putting yourself in check. That's the, that's like the, the one, or if I was going to go, Oh, under this condition. But if I'm just saying, if I'm choosing by what is before playing, what I'd rather have, it would be poltergeist for sure. Rick, what do you think? I went back and forth so many times, but I think just knowing the kind of player that I am, that ex- that chance at getting that extra amber, I would go for Hawk. Interesting. So you're always interested in that value proposition because let's let's be real here. Blake makes a good case, but Hawk is too amber to blow up an artifact. Yeah. Like blow up an artifact and get a third of a key in the process is not nothing. Nope. Alex, what about you? What's what's your preference between the two? Uh, Poltergeist. Um, I'll tell you why. Um, partially, largely for the same reasons that you stated, Blake. But um, <clears throat> uh, the the house cheating stuff that you talked about very valid. But um, I think also having the capacity to use somebody's own life ward on them, or their own lash on them. Or I, I, I swear I can think of like a different yeah Nepenthe uh, seed <laughs> yeah Nepenthe seed um, getting rid of the sting before it can get six amber out of you like those are all things that I like about destroying artifacts but getting the the actual effect of you know a powerful artifact feels so good and it's worth more than one amber for me I've been thinking about this a lot lately what is the value of a single amber um. We were talking about this a little while ago in various spots about, uh, you know, sort of uh, the the card that allows you to blow stuff up for an amber in Worlds Collide. What's that one called? It kills a kills a creature and you get uh, you costs you an amber. Oh, yeah. Whisper action, action, lose an ember and destroy a creature. And I was thinking about that in this context. I was like, man, there are so many scenarios where I would happily give up an amber to get rid of a creature that was a thorn in my side that I didn't have another way to get rid of. And as much as I love that like extra little bit of Amber, when you're looking at Hawk, there is the part of me where I'm like, man, why is it that a witch of the eye is an instant kill target? And, um, you know, just a card that reaps for an extra Amber isn't necessarily in the same way. Like what is the difference between them? And I think it's just that a single Amber isn't always necessarily a motivator for me. Like, Turnover turn value, absolutely you want the creature out there that reaps for two. Turnover turn value, of course you want the creature that steals one, uh, you know, by fighting or by having a special action, your Yahtzee gangs and so on and so forth. But I'm starting to feel like a single amber is a thing that we can really quantify what the value is. And it's still a little bit shaky, but I, I do honestly feel like the uh, the potential for using somebody's artifact with poltergeist outweighs the single amber from Hawk. And that's kind of where I'm starting to feel like. I feel like we're moving towards that area of really knowing what an amber is worth, what a single piece of amber is worth. That's interesting because especially that you use Whisper because I have a lot of experience with that particular. It's probably one of the most experienced World Collide card for me. There were situations where I had Whisper out and it actually really presents that value proposition like you said because there were times when my opponent was capturing a lot of amber from me and I had Whisper and I had to make the decision of okay, if I use this to lose an ember and gain the ember, it's like this net loss sort of thing. It's because I'm going to be gaining, but I'm also losing. And am I still going in check by doing this? And it's, it creates the a complication in kind of 
figuring out what's the best strategy and route. But there's certain things that exist that are so big and hard to deal with that that one ember actually does hold value in just being gone to get rid of a big threat that's going to take a lot to go into it. Like things like bulwarks that are providing armor and just are annoying to deal with. Or you have even bigger creatures now in, in Saurian House. Things like that, like that have a lot of armor and make it harder to swing into because you need above and beyond. Or they have something like, like for a great example actually would be like an ember spine mongrel where it has that hazardous swinging into where a lot of creatures get gone before you even get into it and you can't reap because of it. So it's a perfect trade-off because you know if you're reaping, you're giving your opponent something. But by just losing an ember, you're taking care of that without losing a creature. It's just an ember, which we're not in your favor at that moment anyways. No, you're absolutely right. And additionally, like I've been in enough games where I didn't have an answer for a creature that was on the board and I'm staring down like if they can keep that John Smith alive till next turn, I am dead meat. There's no way they're not going to do some shenanigans with it that are going to get me just blown out. I need an answer and I would happily pay an Amber, maybe two just to be able to take it off the board, but I don't can't fight into it because of elusive or because of taunt or something else like that. So yeah, that's definitely, I think the, 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 the way to start thinking about it at some point, we're going to write an article about what an Amber is worth. What is a single Amber worth to you? And I, I also feel keeping on this whisper line, I think it's going to be one of the more interesting cards in Worlds Collide because I think as people start to see the set, they're going to write off that creature to begin with. But over time, as people start playing, you're going to see people put that card in higher regard as they keep playing because you're going to have this weird back and forth, especially at the beginning in Sealed. We're going to see people not valuing Whisper to its true potential, but people are going to start having this kind of aha moment and seeing how it does benefit. So I think it's going to be a card that we should maybe touch on again in the future. One last thought on Whisper. Um, I think you're also going to start to see scenarios in which people use it for Amber control. Um, We talk a lot about how in competitive, um, especially sealed, if you don't know what's in your opponent's deck, you have to be very careful about how high over six Amber you go. Um, I think you might start to see cases where people can use Whisper to sort of like, you know, do a little bit of control in and around their Amber count. Um, Maybe they don't want to go, you know, maybe they're eight and they'd like to bring themselves down to seven just for safety. Uh, Maybe they don't want to forge next turn for some reason, um, which is more like probably they're at seven and they want to go to six because they're worried about a Ronnie. Exactly. Or something else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because you could steal essentially. So you're removing their ember, but you don't want the extra ember and then lose it afterwards. So it's like you still got the benefit of reducing their ember, Mm -hmm. but you didn't put yours higher than you wanted to go. Like that's that's really interesting. I like that. Yeah, I I, I just think that it's a line of play that we've never considered. Um, Mm -hmm. But we're going to have to start considering because the rules of Keyforge are, of course, always changing. We're almost at 20 minutes for this episode, so let's move on to uh, one of the other topics we wanted to talk about. With all the events that have been going on here in Vancouver, um, we've had to face the fact that we have to rally the troops for a lot of different events. When you're looking at store champs, upcoming primes, other events that are happening, and we've got store champs across three different stores, two prime events, plus other weekly events that are happening. We're setting up for, you know, uh, Worlds Collide launch, which is going to have its own associated event and so on and so forth. How do you get people out to the stores for these events? Uh, You know, and and I think we all have a lot of thoughts about that, but I thought I'd throw it to you, Blake, because you did an amazing job of rallying the troops to come out 
for one of the store championships a couple of weeks ago, and we got a, a much higher turnout than even we were expecting. What was your kind of your thought process going into that? What was your strategy to get people to show up? Well, the one strategy I had was consistency. It wasn't just about posting an article, announcing it. It was the repetition of it, like the reminder, like, hey, this is happening. Obviously not doing it daily, but like doing like a month out, two weeks out, the week of type of thing. Uh, or the day before sort of thing. Just something like that, just to keep it fresh in people's minds and planning for it and giving lots of details. Like I, I feel one of the keys of that event was that w there was the talk of there's going to be side events. So if this ends early, we're going to have this. And there was good deals to be had with the way the store owner wanted to position the pricing of the product as like kind of a final AOA hurrah, so to speak. So it, it was enticing because it wasn't just a tournament. It was like, there's going to be more. It was, it was actually like a full Keyforge day. And there was more than just a store championship, which and I think that made it really exciting. And mm -hmm. I kind of want to have things like that happen more. We can have more than just one thing happening and almost have it like a celebration of Keyforge. And then people can choose to play in the capacity that they wish to. Uh, we obviously don't have a huge community, but I still just thinking having all those people together. And maybe it's a tournament that has a higher competitive atmosphere to it and then having something that's a little less competitive with it just fosters their the player that joins being more comfortable in that setting and with that community and therefore more willing in the future to enter into other events so a big thing is obviously keeping the community close-knit and alex you're great at this is when new players come in you always go and introduce yourself to them make them feel welcome, not make them feel like the new kid at school who doesn't have any friends. Like they're always brought into the fold right away. And we, and we collectively engage them in conversation. I think that first line of, of interaction is very important. And then as well, spending time online talking to people. And that's something that I've been focusing on lately is when people have an interest, uh, trying to reach out and start a conversation and help them understand certain things, because I think there are some pitfalls being a new player and looking for decks at times and things like that. And you can be taken advantage of. So just kind of minding that and keeping that good feeling in the community so that they want to come out to events. That's the big thing, I think. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on those. Um, the consistency of information is really important. And I think publicizing all events and making sure that everybody at each place you go knows about the stuff that's happening elsewhere. Because yes. one of the things that really made me happy is that this was the store where you and uh, all of the people here on Help From Future Self um, play casually that this particular well-attended event was at. And we saw a bunch of people who never come out to that store show up to play there. Yes. Um, and it was because when we were at other events at other stores, we let people know about it. And we made sure that they knew what the date was. And we made sure they knew what the format was. And we hyped them up about it. And we try and do that everywhere. So if we're playing at one store and we say, oh, this event's coming up here. You think you're going to make it? Oh, no, I'm on vacation or I'm going out of town that weekend or I have another engagement. Oh, cool. Well, maybe you could check out this other event at this other store or come out mm -hmm. and meet us at this thing that we're doing on this night. And then you just use those opportunities to make sure people are in the loop about all the stuff that's happening locally. Um you know, Vancouver has a lot of events for a town that does not have a scene the size of a large American city. I mean, mm -hmm. that's just a matter of fact. If you go down to Seattle, they have way, way, way bigger scene, is my understanding, than we have here. And I'm sure it's even bigger in other places across the U.S. and probably even in Canada. But the fact of the matter is that, you know, if you can get the people you do have to show up, it doesn't matter 
that the scene isn't huge. You're you're working to build the individual events, and those themselves can help build the the scene itself. You know, you you can attract more people by making sure that the events fire, that the prize support is there, and that people who are interested in playing Keyforge see that they're not going to invest in the game and then find out that it dried up after, you know, a couple of months. I think those are the really important parts of it. As well as like every, I think every community has clusters of people. So within our group, I think we have, we know there's like a few groups of people who are all kind of talk to one another more so about the game, not always with each other. But when we're playing together, we have those discussions. Like we're one group. I think Jonathan is another group with his friends from work and things like that. And then there's uh, Brett and Marco. And then they have their friends as well, like Miguel and Mark who come out. And it's Matt kind has of like, a group of folks that he he plays with on occasion who are sort of just his his regular yeah, gaming group friends and stuff exactly. like that. Exactly. And it's and it's basically having the ability to to instead of reaching out to everyone, you just reach out to one person in each of these groups. Hey, could you let all your friends know as well about this and find out who's coming? Mm-hmm. And it's like you kind of just talk to a few groups of of individuals who are now connected with larger groups of people and and you get that sense of community where like, hey, I want to go to this. You guys should come with me. It's going to be fun. We'll all go together. And you get, create that feeling where not everyone's wondering if the other person's going. There's a person kind of taking the bull by the horns and saying, guys, let's go to this. Let's do this. And I think that was a big reason why that was successful as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We had a conversation with a player who plays at a store out in Surrey, which if you're not in Vancouver is kind of one of the the big uh, you know, c- city suburbs of Vancouver, um, a very large city suburb of Vancouver. And yeah. one of the things he told us was that he came out to this event specifically because he knew there was going to be players here. And sometimes he goes out to his local weekly event and there's nobody there. And he just wasted time, you know, going to the mall, to the store to find out that he wasn't going to get to play. And that's a bad feeling. And it drives yep. people away from the game. Yes, indeed. How many times are you going to show up to a store where, you know, you're a new player to the game. You show up expecting there to be an event where you're going to get to play against other people and it doesn't happen. And it that happens once. You may not ever show up again. It happens twice. It, I I almost guarantee you're never going to try again. Right. Well, that, that is literally what happened to me at yeah. that exact store. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I went twice and, and I was just like, yeah, I'm not going again. And it kind of just became known that that could happen. And it just died until I guess some new people came in, reinvigorated it. Last thing related to this is interacting with new players when they show up at your regular events. Um, You touched on it, Blake. I think it's really important to introduce yourself, um, introduce them around to other people who play regularly, let them know about the regular events that are happening, let them know about special events that are coming up. But especially if they're a new player who haven't been playing as long as you and aren't as experienced as you, like make it abundantly clear that this is going to be like, you know, don't make them feel like they're, 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 you know, you're, you're taking it easy on them because they're the new person, but at the very least, like, let them know that these are friendly games and that, you know, it's okay for them to, to take their time with play, especially if they're new, if they have questions, everybody's here to help them out with, with rules and so on and so forth. I think that is tremendously important. We did some of that on Monday with some new players who showed up to rain city. Yep. Yeah. That was really, really cool. And I think also it helps just to like let people know that, you know, uh, it's not a feeling of, well, I didn't start when everybody else here started. So therefore there's no place for me here and I'm just going to get stomped out. Um, You don't have to let people win. You don't have to take it easy on them. But at the same time, too, it's also very much a case of, of, of let people know that there's an opportunity for them to learn the game and play the game with folks without just getting run over immediately. And sometimes as well, if you're like for us, 
for me personally is I was planning on bringing a more competitive deck to test. And then when it was just basically the three of us and these two new players, um, I didn't feel as comfortable doing that anymore. And I actually even asked them because I was planning on testing a Worlds Collide deck. And I just asked them if they were okay with that because I didn't want them to have any kind of ill feelings since it's not really out yet or anything like that. And they said they weren't and I was totally okay with that. So I just switched up to a deck that I thought was fun and I wasn't sure how good it is now. So I wanted to just kind of see it and I knew it wasn't like top tier and I thought, let's just have some fun and get to know this deck a little bit better and meet these new folks that came to join our community. And especially when you have just your friends that are like, just be more casual about it, even though it is a chain bound, like treat it almost like a casual setting, but in a chain bound format to make them feel comfortable and just get used to the setting in the game and being around new people, because then they're going to feel more comfortable in general and want to come back and experience that again. Yep, I agree. All right. This episode has been going for a little while, but we can't say goodbye to help from future self without doing the titular segment. You know what it's called. Help from future self. self. Blake, I understand you have one for us. I do. The deck that I played on Monday when when I switched up my decks is this sweet deck called Cool Slipper, the Artisan Swindler. One of my absolute favorite deck names. And it's got a quad full moon. (laughs) Um, with with not a ton of creatures there. My Logos house has eight creatures with a phase shift, so I kind of want to phase into one of those. And it also has shadows. So pretty classic uh, Coda style. But it does have a library access and a wild wormhole. Mm -hmm. And because of AOA and playing so much AOA with wild wormholes and those omegas and things that can bite you, is I got very used to playing wild wormholes at the end of my turn. And... Mm-hmm. I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, you you know what I'm gonna say, Rick. Yep. And and I I played I I followed the same suit, and so I played out my whole logos turn, and I go wild wormhole into my library access to end my turn when I played like oh. four four logos cards, and it was like Feels oh bad. my goodness, yeah, it felt so bad. So it's one of those lessons I learned. Like, okay, look at your deck list. Don't get caught up in the way a card can play because every deck is unique and different in Keyforge and therefore the parameters of which that card exists within any given deck can change. So make sure you're aware of what those are so you don't bone yourself with a a play like that, like a nice purge of your library access to end your turn. Yeah. 100% agreed. That's it for yet another episode of Help from Future Self. You can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. I am at Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram and on Twitter, also on The Crucible. Where can they find you, Rick? I'm on The Crucible at Rickster78 and The Wheeling Keyforger on Twitter. What about you, Blake? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BLVD Paper Fight. That's Boulevard Paper Fight. And uh, yeah, you and I have been doing 10 cards in 10 days, which is kind of ongoing, which is a really fun thing to kind of explore and look at. So check out our Instagrams if you want to see what we've been choosing. It 100% has been. All right, we will talk to you again next week. The Worlds Collide set is totally imminent, and we have a lot of interesting feelings about that, and I'm sure we'll be exploring them as time goes by. But until then, stay forging. Stay forging.